How many of you were late for work Monday morning after the Colts won the Super Bowl? <laughs> it actually gave the kids a two-hour delay. <laughs> that was awesome. <clears throat> and admitted it, too, you know. That's why we're doing it, because we, we think people are going to be up late. So I'm sorry, Bears fans. I feel your pain. My team lost last night on national television, so I know what that's all about. Um, we are in the middle of the series, Lion Chaser. I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying this. I'm learning a lot each week. I just, uh, something that God kind of puts on me, and I'll say, man. Um, and, and the whole thing, if you're new or if you haven't been a part of this series and you don't really know what this is all about, there's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Beniah. And Beniah is, uh, becomes noteworthy in scripture uh, basically the bible tells us that he he uh, grows up to become um, second in command of the army eventually of david's army but he also for a while is the the head of david's uh, bodyguard um, detail which is pretty heady stuff i would think if you're going to guard the king that's pretty major stuff but this is the the basic passage that we've been kind of springboarding off of all for the last several weeks and will for the next three weeks Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now, Benaiah, I don't think, woke up that morning and um, had the day all planned out. I think sometimes we read scripture and we just assume the outcome of things. Um, you know, because we know the outcome, we just assume, well, you know, Benaiah knew that it was going to all turn out okay. He knew he would end up in Scripture in Second Samuel and be a hero, and he knew how his life was going to all turn out because we can read that all in Scripture. We think that because we can see it, that surely Benaiah could see that. But, you know, Benaiah was living his life the same way you are. He can't see around the corner to the next day. He, he doesn't know what's going to happen next, and so uh, he lived his life uh, with a certain level of uncertainty. Today, we're going to talk about embracing uncertainty which uh, quite honestly not a lot of christians do that and um, we'll, we'll talk about the, the pitfalls of not embracing uncertainty as we go along but this day was not scheduled in benaiah's palm pilot right he didn't wake up and have this all written down on a to-do list going to chase a lion into a pit today that wasn't on his agenda for the day i doubt seriously that was even on a wish list for Benaiah, you know, boy, I hope I run across a lion today. I, I don't think that was the case. You know, it's easy to read a story like this and, and remove the element of surprise. And sometimes we read the Bible more like a textbook than we do a storybook. The reason these, you know, you talk to people and they say, I like the Old Testament better than the New Testament because the Old Testament has lots of stories. We love the stories. And somehow, we don't understand that that's exactly what Jesus did. His whole ministry was tell stories. In fact, I would tell you that if you want to carry the gospel to somebody in today's culture, the best bet you've got to witness to somebody today is to not just recite facts and figures to people about who Jesus is, but that you engage them in the story of their life and you tell the story of Jesus. When you do that, uh, people will be engaged. People will kind of lean in and they'll want to hear. And so we have a tendency to kind of read all this like a textbook and not so much like a storybook. Killing the lion was not a foregone conclusion for Benaiah. 
You know, hand-to-hand combat with, a, with another human is a little different because you can kind of study what they're going to do. Humans are somewhat predictable. If a fighter's going to fight, uh, a boxer's going to fight another boxer in the ring, they, they'll spend time watching that guy on video trying to figure out what his patterns are, how he leads with a certain punch before he goes into a combination, that kind of thing. But when you're dealing with a savage beast, it's all different. It's very unpredictable. You, you don't have any idea what is going to happen next, and, and to say that there was some great uncertainty with Benaiah would be an understatement. Plus, you have to account for a lot of other things. You've got you know, topological uh, considerations. You've got physiological considerations. You have atmospheric considerations. You have some geographical considerations. You know, was, was it a heavy snow or was it a light snow? Was it a wet snow or a dry snow? Was it super cold like it is now? Because if it was, it would, you know, it would hurt to hit anything. Or was it the kind of weather that you can have snow on the ground, but it was still warm out? Had the lion just eaten and was maybe a little slower? Had Beniah just eaten and was really uh, full of strength and ready to go? Had Beniah had lots of rest? Had the lion had lots of rest? What was the visibility that day. Lot, thousands of variables go into the scenario of Benaiah chasing this lion down into a pit, and uh, it makes for a great deal of uncertainty. But they all add up to the idea that, that what makes this a great story, what makes this such a God-honoring story, is, is that there was uncertainty attached to it. That's, that's what, when you watch movies, that's what you want to see in a movie. You don't want to know the outcome, or have you ever taped a game on television and been away somewhere and tried to make it the whole day and have no no one tell you what the score ended up to be um if you ever watched there are certain movies that come to my mind the fugitive is one last year the the elders at the retreat we watched a movie called the sentinel which is kind of a suspense thriller where you don't really know what's going to happen next um you know we wonder how will these things resolve themselves and that's what keeps us engaged as we watch a movie is what how's this going to turn out how's all this going to work out sometimes the people who write movies and, and produce movies do such a good job of, of layering the movie that you think man this thing is so complicated i don't know how they're ever going to resolve this with this and this with this and so it keeps us watching the movie because we want to figure out how it's all going to come to the end high levels of uncertainty make for great movies and high levels of uncertainty i think make for the best lives does faith result in a reduction of uncertainty i think so stay with me here because i want to make a distinction between two kinds of uncertainty there is a spiritual uncertainty that you have until you come to christ you you know you say to someone you're going to go to heaven well i hope so but we know that when you come to Christ, you can answer that question with great certainty. I am going to go to heaven. I am loved. My sins are forgiven. I will spend an eternity in heaven. When you come to Christ, there are a certain level of spiritual uncertainties that are removed from your life. And you don't have to go through life wondering and asking about those kind of things. Are you a child of God? Yes, I am a child of God. I can know that with great certainty when I come to Jesus. So there, there are certain spiritual uncertainties that are removed. But along with that, there are some, some uh, things that happen when you come to Jesus that kind of change the dynamics of your life. And while faith reduces spiritual uncertainty, it enables us to embrace uh, high levels of circumstantial uncertainty. And that's really what we're, we're really trying to figure out in life, isn't it? We, we, because we want circumstantial certainty in our lives. If we're really honest, that's what we want. And faith does not lead us to a place where all of our circumstances are going to make sense. That's really 
uh, the struggle that we have, and that's kind of what I want to unpack for us this morning. The Bible is full of people who, who live out their faith in the midst of great uncertainty. In fact, what you find is that the more faith a person had, generally speaking, the more uncertainty there was in his life. And, and generally speaking, the more uh, valued his faith is to us in Scripture. We look at those people and say, man, what great faith they had. But the reason that we say that is because they experienced such circumstantial uncertainty. The heroes of our faith were able to endure. God calls us to go places and to do things that we can't figure out with our own human understanding. And God loves it when we're in circumstances that we don't understand. Now, we don't like it when we're in those kind of circumstances. And oftentimes, uh, we let God know that we don't like it. But you know what? Think about it. When have you prayed the most in your life? You have prayed the most in your life when you were in the midst of circumstantial uncertainty. When you don't know what's going to happen next. Oh, God, please be with me through this. Please guide me in this. Please help me to know what to say. I don't know what's going to happen. Help me to respond the right way. I've heard, I've had conversations with people and they'll say, man, I have never prayed like I've prayed this week because the implication was there's something around the corner that I don't know about. We can't trust our circumstances, so we have to trust God. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Oswald Chambers is famous for having written the book, My Utmost for His Highest, but Oswald Chambers made this comment one time, to be certain of God is to be certain in all our ways. You never know what a day may bring forth. This is generally said with a sigh of sadness. It should rather be an expression of breathless expectation. Listen to this. Monotony and certainty are spiritual cousins. Monotony and certainty are spiritual cousins. You ever met somebody who was bored with their faith? It's kind of an oxymoron. It's, it's kind of hard to figure out how you can be bored with faith. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. If you're exercising faith, how can you be bored? You know, but yet you know, I'll still run across people and they'll say, you know, I just, something's missing. I, something's lacking in the whole uh, Jesus thing for me. I, it's just kind of dead for me. It's just not really doing a whole lot. Well, could I suggest that you go on a mission trip? Uh, could I suggest that you teach two-year-olds? Listen, there's some uncertainty in that. I'll tell you right now. Could I, could I suggest that you... Um, share your faith with somebody could i suggest that maybe you start tithing i mean there's all kinds of things if you're wondering what can i do to kind of jostle my faith a little bit and to Im implement a certain level of uncertainty so that i can trust god a little bit i'm telling you when you do something that that leads you to a place of uncertainty you will lean harder into the breast of god if you're looking at your life and you're saying man i'm just bored I mean, I, this whole Jesus thing, I mean, I get up, I go to church. I get up, I go to church. I mean, I hear sermons and I sing songs, but when I leave, nothing really changes for me. You know what? It's not the church, it's not the songs, it's not the music, it's not the preacher, it's not the message. You know what it is? You are embracing certainty in your life. And you're looking at life and saying, God, I want, every, I want to know where everything's coming from. I want to know how it's all going to turn out. And you know what God says to that? That is a ho-hum life. And when you have that, you're not going to lean into me. You want some financial uncertainty in your life? Start tithing and see how God messes you know, with your life. I mean, it's, I've had people come and say, man, it scares me to death to think that I would do that because I just don't know. Sometimes, Brad, I don't know where the next paycheck's coming from. Well, there's a certain level of uncertainty in that. Quit your position. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're bored with life, 
And you're thinking, I need a change up? Quit your position and pursue your passion. See what that does for uncertainty in your life. You think you won't pray a little bit? You think you won't wonder where God is in life? God, you, you, will, you will look for God in every circumstance in your life. You start doing some of those things, and I'm pretty sure that you're not going to say that your faith is boring. I think Christ would have a step out in our lives and live our lives in such a way that embraces uncertainty. There's an interesting statement in the Bible. Um, Jesus describes what it would be like to follow him, and he tells the disciples, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What Jesus is saying is, you may want to follow me, but before you start to follow me, you need to, under, you need to hear the disclaimer that I would give you before you would put your trust and your faith in me, and before you would say, I want to take my life and pledge it to live with you, Jesus. I want to, I want to live life the way you live life. He said, you need to understand, I don't know where we're sleeping tonight. I don't, I don't really have a place to lay down yet. That's yet to come. If you're looking for certainty, I'm not the person who's going to provide for you a great deal of circumstantial certainty. Now, I can make sure that you know that you're saved, and I can make sure that you feel eternally secure in me, and you can know that you're a child of God. But when it comes to the idea of I'm going to know where my next meal is all the time, and I'm going to know where I'm going to lay my head tonight, Jesus said, I don't know those things. So if you want to follow me, you need to think about that a little bit. In, in the NFL, they always put out a, a, an injury report toward the end of the week. You start to really pay attention to the injury, injury report, um, especially we don't do that around here, and I certainly don't do that because I wouldn't be any good at it. But people who gamble, I don't know if you realize, but the NFL and gambling are like, they hold real close hands. And, and so those people who gamble on the NFL, they want to hear what the injury report is toward the end of the week. It makes a big difference to them. What you'll hear in the injury report a lot of times is this player is listed as, and then there's all different kinds of characterizations, probable, questionable, doubtful. Um, and then one of the, the characterizations is he's listed as day-to-day. You'll hear that in the injury report. He's listed as day-to-day, and usually on ESPN radio, the, guy, the announcer will say, aren't we all? Which is pretty much the truth, isn't it? We're all kind of day-to-day, aren't we? Um, that's the beauty of following Jesus. What we have is a scenario, on the one hand, where there's a lot of people who are bored with their faith. And yet, on the other hand, you have uh, you know, these stories in the gospel that are anything but boring. And so what I think is that the people who are bored with their faith, they're not paying attention to the stories in the Bible that, that have great lessons for us in terms of circumstantial uncertainty. Here's the question. Why isn't faith more of an adventure? If, if you're a churchgoer and you follow Jesus and you say, man, I'm just, I don't know, something's just, what's, what's wrong? I mean, I don't think it's Jesus that's wrong. Why isn't faith more of an adventure? I think the answer is this. I think that we have a love of certainty. We have embraced certainty. We want to know what's going to happen next. We don't like to do a lot of things. How many people have, how many people have been on an Emmaus walk? Let me see your hands. How many people have been, okay, now you put your hands down. How many people have been approached about going on an Emmaus walk? Raise your hand. And one of the things you're thinking is, they're not telling me everything, and I don't want to go. Have you, have you had that thought? I've had, when they came to me, I said, okay, I'll go on one. What do they do? Well, I don't want to tell you everything because I don't want to spoil it. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. Want to know what's going to happen. I'm not going to put myself in, in uncertain circumstances. Isn't that how you think about things? And yet, I went on an Emmaus walk and just take it for me. It's one of the great experiences of my life. So all those of you who have been invited to go on one, you're saying, I don't know. Brett's been, Brett had a great time, you'll have a great time. You have to trust Jesus a little bit, okay? 
embrace a little uncertainty in your life. You see, in life, we, we embrace certainty, but faith is about embracing uncertainty. That's, that's really what faith is, is all about. You ever been camping? And when you go camping, I, I guess I can't really say this because I'm sure people have been camping and they'd said, no, the whole thing was dull. But as far as I'm concerned, when you go camping, there's never a dull moment. You know, there's always some creepy crawly thing or, you know, one of the kids is wandering off towards someplace they're not supposed to or, you know, or there's some kind of fly thing around that you're wondering. You say, I've never seen one of those before and I don't know if it's going to bite me or what it's going to do. You know, the food is different. For me, anyway, the food always tastes better when I'm camping because somehow I get hungrier when I'm camping. And so whenever I eat the hot dog over the fire, you know, you've worked so hard for it. By the time you finally get it, it's like, oh, it's the best hot dog that I've ever eaten in my life. Well, that's, it's, that's what camping's all about, you know. It's, there's a, there's a, it's never a dull moment when you go camping. Food just tastes better. Everything you encounter is a part of the experience. I think that's what Jesus wants to do with you and me. I think Jesus wants, wants you to experience a certain level of uncertainty in your life with him um, and, and basically takes you to a place where you live your life by faith. And the key uh, is, is that in all the uncertainty in our life, that's what makes it exciting. You talk to people who are vibrant in their faith and you talk to people who are just having a blast with Jesus and then ask them, hey, what's going on circumstantially with you? I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. I I think I'm going on a mission trip. Don't know what's going to happen there. I'm tithing my money, and man, that's just a crazy thing because, you know, you put it out there, and you you sure hope that God comes back and blesses it. And usually when you talk to people, he is. People who are alive in Christ are people with, generally speaking, a certain high level of, of circumstantial uh, uncertainty. Matthew chapter 4 is where I want you to look this morning. Because we're going to study a, a, a scenario here with the disciples. And I want you to see something that's pretty interesting. I, I'd read this story many times, and I'd never quite seen it quite like this before. It's the story of Jesus calling the first disciples. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to pick up at verse 18. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen, which is like the the most obvious statement in all of scripture. You know, it's like, why did they feel compelled to put that in there? But they did, and so we read it. Verse 19, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James Uh, son of Zebedee and his brother John they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him the expectation in this culture was that the children would grow up to do what the father did I mean that's really how you learned you were basically a born apprentice you know you you grew up watching dad do whatever dad did and it was pretty much expected that whatever dad did that's what you would do Um, Jesus did what his dad did. He learned carpentry. Uh, James and and John and Peter and Andrew grew up learning fishing from their fathers. It was, you know, you might say it was the family business. It was what they were expected to do. And we read stories like this and we think, well, that's a no-brainer. You know, Jesus comes along and says, hey, follow me. And of course, I'm going to follow Jesus. I mean, that's a a no-brainer. But maybe we assume too much. We we overlook, I think, in this story, parental influence. I think that we, we... you know, we forget that parents play a big role in our lives, and they put a lot of 
uh, sometimes pressure on us to do certain things. Um, maybe what major we choose, what career, who we marry, you know, what kind of what school we go to. Um, the best parents really they want what's best for their kids, and they want their children to grow up and do what God has called them to do. I, you know. I don't want my kids to go into ministry unless that's what God calls them into. I think people just assume, well, Brett's kids are going to go into ministry. Not so. I mean, uh, if God calls them to that, man, I'll just be elated that God called them into ministry. It's a hard life, but it's a great life, and, and I know that God will bless them in it. But, but I only want that to happen if that's what God wants to happen. I mean, if they grow up and, and you know, God calls one of them to to be a seamstress or God calls one of them to to be a construction worker then that'll be great I just I want them to do whatever it is that God calls them to do and sometimes I, I wrestle with how to manage my own expectations where my kids are concerned and the way I treat them you wonder what the the conversations were like when the disciples came home for a visit after they decided to follow Jesus can you imagine what James and John had to go through when, fellas when are you going to come in off the road and, and get back into the family business and quit following that guy around all over the place? I mean, you know, we miss you, and somebody's got to run this business, and you've been trained for this, and I don't know what that guy's teaching you out there, but, but he's not teaching you a good, hard living like fishing that can, can really provide for you, and I don't know what speaking pays, but probably not very good. You need to come home, and you need to, to, to be a fisherman again. And this is, this is who we are as a family, and this is the family tradition We've done this for generations. When are you going to come back and embrace how we had you to grow up and, and carry on the tradition? That kind of pressure could have very easily been on the disciples as Jesus came along and called them to follow him. Now look back at verse 22. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They left their father. I think that following Jesus on some level is about leaving some of the certainties behind. And there, there are great certainties, aren't there, when you're around your dad. I know it is for me. I can count on certain things to be the case when I'm with dad. It's just, he's, he's, just, he's very predictable, sometimes not in a good way. Um, he, he's just rock solid. You know, you, you know what you're going to get. Um, leaving some of the uncertainties behind, or some of the certainties behind can be scary it's not easy but i think that's really what jesus calls us to we've been called to sacrifice i think certainty faith is about sacrificing certainty i told you about my struggle uh to finally go into ministry and i think part of what i struggled with for a long time was this idea of certainty versus uncertainty because the original plan was for me to go off to a university not far from home at all you have to understand i'm a huge mama's boy i've got three siblings and of the four of us i was probably the least likely candidate to leave the state and go move away from mom and dad turns out i'm the only one who left uh the state and moved away from mom and dad the other ones are right there real close and i'm three hours away and right now they're in florida and Myra's like you, you never talk to them i mean they're they're in florida and i bet we talk maybe once a week once every couple of weeks but if you'd known me growing up that wasn't the case i was a mama's boy i loved being home and i you know the whole idea for me was i'm going to go off to university i'm going to learn how to to program computers this is before the pc we're talking about mainframes and we're just going to just going to program computers and i could have very easily gotten my degree and found a job in the cincinnati area which has lots of 
you know, economic opportunities and live the rest of my life not far from my mom and dad with a great level of certainty. Or I could choose to go into ministry and not have any clue where I would end up. I would not have any, the chances were good. Now, I'll tell you this, I, some of what I need to say I'm going to temper because at this church, I feel a certain level of security and I feel a certain level of certainty and, and I think that, that, I hope I'm going to be around for a while. I mean, I don't think I'm going to be shoved out the door today or tomorrow, but there are a lot of guys in ministry, they don't know that. Ministry, basically, when you start talking about going off and studying for ministry, one of the things that you have to consider is I may move several times in my life. My kids may have several homes in their lifetime. And and there's a a high level of uncertainty that accompanies this idea of going into ministry. And so for me, part of the struggle was trying to figure out, do you want to risk that and go into ministry, or do you want to just kind of stay here where it's certain and safe and mom and dad are going to be close, and if you have any trouble, uh, you can... You know, you can get close to them and they can help you out. You know, the question is, am I going to look back and say, what was I thinking? Now, <laughs> I have looked back on time from time to time and said, Brett, what were you thinking? Uh, in fact, my, my, the kid I grew up with the next door, when he found out, we were older then, and, and when he found out what I was planning to do, he, that's exactly what he said to me. He said, man, what, what are you thinking? To, to go, you're going you're gonna to be a, priest he was catholic you're going to be a priest i said well kind of not really um can you imagine me as a priest Uh, that, that would not work that would not work here's something that we all need to consider and some of you in your lives right now are struggling with this sometimes the good is the enemy of the great sometimes we settle for good and there's certainty in that but that becomes the enemy of what is great you know sometimes my life i look back on life and my life has been so full i i have a i have scrapbooks i have diaries that i've written um i guess men keep journals don't they they don't keep diaries they write journals but i carry a purse so it doesn't matter Um, I have met such incredible people I I have been privileged to to know and and be a part of the lives of just magnificent people people who have had huge impact on my life Um, people that that I you know if I had done I mean if I'd stayed where I was and and worked in in the greater Cincinnati area I'm not it's not to say that I wouldn't have met great people and it's not to say that I wouldn't have had great experiences and it's not to say that you have to go into ministry to do that I'm just talking about me okay I'm just talking about me and for me for someone who was so afraid to leave mom and dad for someone who was so afraid to leave home and and for someone who was so reticent to to give up all the certainty that was so guaranteed in my life and to to sacrifice it and say, okay, God, I don't know where this is going to go and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know if you can use me in this thing, but I'm yours and I'll do it. God has so rewarded that in my life with the people that I've met and the people that have had huge impact on my life. If you want to see how much of our life boils down to the decisions between certainty and uncertainty. Look at Matthew chapter 19. There's a story there that I want you to see. Matthew chapter 19. In this story, 
Uh, it's, it's the story of the rich young ruler. And it's kind of a sad story. It starts out good. He seems to be seeking. He starts out asking the right questions. He says, teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? Now, that's a good question. I mean, if you're going to come across Jesus, that's a, that's a really good question. And it sounds good at the beginning. And Jesus tells him to keep the commandments. And he replied, I am keeping the commandments. I'm doing that already. And then he asks a question that basically reveals that something is missing in his life. He, he's got some issues and some problems. He asks, what do I still lack? In other words, what's missing? Because, because I seem to have everything on paper. I'm young. I'm wealthy. I have everything that culture says that I need to make me happy. So to paraphrase what this guy says to Jesus, why am I not happy? Why am I still seeking something? There's something missing in my life. What do I need? What do I lack? What do I still lack? Scripture said that he had great wealth. He seems to have everything, but something's missing. One of the things that this story reveals is that no amount of money can offset relational, emotional, or spiritual poverty. You can have all the money in the world, and I don't care how rich you are, money will not supply those things for you. One of the things that we face in a material culture is that we can accumulate possessions or we can accumulate experience. See, sometimes you, you have to choose which one of those you're going to accumulate. You're going to accumulate possessions? You, you can accumulate possessions and not really have all that many experiences. Or you can opt to accumulate experience. I can tell you that my life of faith, that's what I've done. I've accumulated uh, lots of different experiences and that's really what makes life fulfilling for me it's what makes it fun you never know what is the next experience around the corner when you follow Jesus I mean I, we, I've been talking about this Thailand trip but when I boarded that plane for Thailand I had no idea what was halfway around the world waiting for me the experiences I had were tremendous and I can't imagine saying nope not going to do that it's going to cost me a lot of money going to hang on to my money it's going to cost me time I'm going to hang on to my time it's going to cause me to leave American soil. I'm not leaving American soil. No, I risked all that and went for something that was uncertain. And man, what did God do with that? Just very cool, some of the stuff he did. And there's this temptation to think that if we accumulate possessions, that we will have everything we want or we need. The story of the rich young ruler says otherwise. And really, the walls of my office would say otherwise. If, my, if the walls in my office could talk, they, they have heard wealthy people sit on my couch and talk to me about how empty their life is. They have heard wealthy people talk to me about how life does not just, it just doesn't seem to make sense for them and they can't figure out, you know, there's, there is a relational poverty sometimes that, that accompanies uh, great material wealth and apparently the rich young ruler doesn't have what he needs. Something is lacking. I think this guy was very religious. He was very good at the do's and don'ts. But there was no excitement. There was no uncertainty. There was no adventure. Listen to this. Religion will always leave you wanting more. Okay? I mean, I bash religion all the time. This is why. Because you might be really good at the do's and don'ts, and you may be able to keep the list perfectly, but there is no uncertainty in the list. And religion is all about making sure that everything is certain. 
And Jesus is all about making sure that life for you is uncertain. Hey, come, let's have an adventure. Come follow me. Where are we going? I don't even know where I'm laying my head tonight. Don't ask me really where we're going. I mean, on the one hand, you know, following Jesus is just a total paradox, as we'll see kind of toward the end. But on the one hand, Jesus is the greatest leader that ever lived. And when you talk about leadership, it's all about, you know, I'm I'm trained as a leader. They're not going to follow you if you don't know where you're going. You got to declare where you're going. And so as a leader, I'm trained, know where you're going. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the best leader that ever lived. Where are we going, Jesus? I have no clue. I don't even know where we're laying our heads tonight. But won't it be fun? Won't it be great? We, We hear that and think, I don't know. He was lacking those, the the rich young ruler was lacking those adrenaline rushes that only happen when we step out and live our life by faith. So Jesus issues this young ruler, this rich guy, this challenge. Listen to this. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. It's safe to say that what Jesus was asking this guy to do, it really... You know, it was about the money for this guy, but it really, this really has nothing to do with money. It only has to do with money because money was so important to this guy. It was obvious that it was important to this guy. And what Jesus was asking him to do was to sacrifice certainty. That's really what Jesus was after. Certainty was the byproduct of his possessions. Certainty was the byproduct of his wealth. I think what Jesus is saying is, I want you to get rid of all the certainty that you've got in your life because all those things that you've learned to bank on are are really replacing who I want to be in your life. And he said, I'm going to extend an offer for you to come and follow me where there is very little that is going to be certain in life for you other than that I love you and I'm willing to die for you. Think about that. I mean, when you follow Jesus, that's really the two certainties you've got with Jesus. He loves you immensely. I tell people all the time, had counseling this week with some people. I said, listen, what you've got to understand above everything else is that God loves you. If I had five seconds, if you said, Brett, you're going to drop dead in five seconds, what do you want to tell your congregation? I'd jump up here and I would say, God loves you, God loves you, God loves He loves you immensely. People just they, they, don't, they, they always think that there's something that's in the way that God can't love them. And God loves you. You're the apple of his eye. You're, you're, you're the most beautiful thing in the world to him. On the one hand, we read this and we really identify with the rich young ruler, don't we? Man, give all that money away? I mean, how hard would it be for Jesus to look at me and say, I want you to take all that you've got and sell it and give it to the poor, then come follow me. But when you stop for a minute and you flip the coin and you really start to think about the opportunity that Jesus is extending to the rich young ruler, perhaps we can see it a little differently. Jesus is offering him an internship under the Son of God. Think about it like that. Jesus says, I want to give you an internship. I want to give you a chance to to do something special that not a whole lot of people get to do. Now, internships, I had three internships in college. And they were really important. Internships are all about trying to get the right experience under the right person at the right place. And when, when you talk about an internship, you're generally talking about building your resume. You want to have the right names on your resume. You want to have served in the right place, have the right experiences. So that when you go to put your job application in front of somebody, they can look at your resume and say, oh, you spent time with so-and-so. That's impressive. I mean, that coaches that are getting hired right now that's what it's all about for them is what have i done who have i studied under who's had influence in my life that kind of thing 
An internship opportunity can mean so many things. Has anybody ever been offered a better internship than the rich young ruler? Some would say, how could you give up all that money, all that certainty? How can you pass up all those possessions? I say, how could you pass up the uncertainty and the opportunity to intern under Jesus? Look at the difference between the rich young ruler and the disciples. Jesus took a bunch of everyday fishermen and turned them into history makers. Now, in a day when the average person never traveled more than 30 miles from their home, okay, understand that. The average person in the time of Jesus never traveled more than 30 miles from their home. Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world. Can you imagine how crazy Jesus sounded to the people that he spoke to? This was a good 1,500 years before what we would come to know as the age of exploration. Talk about adventure. These fishermen grew up and they basically lived their lives, their entire life, within a stone's throw of the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden they come into contact with Jesus. And according to Eusebius, who is a second century historian, we learn that Peter travels as far as Italy. John ends up in Asia. James, the son of Zebedee, travels all the way to Spain. And even Doubting Thomas makes it all the way to India. They could have spent the rest of their days within a stone's throw of Galilee. And life could have been very certain for them. Or they could have reached something better. And then you start to think about what they experienced. They had a box seat to every sermon Jesus ever preached. They had a box seat to every miracle that Jesus ever performed. They were right there. They got to see the the look on the faces of the people who were healed. They got to see the wonderment of religious officials who doubted Jesus and couldn't make sense of what Jesus was doing on a daily basis. They were right there to be able to see that stuff. They were there when they watched Malchus get his ear healed. They they were there when when he said, rise up, take your mat and walk. And this guy stood up and walked off with his mat. They were there when people were able to see. They heard some of the greatest words ever spoken from the greatest teacher who ever lived. They had an up-close and personal seat with Jesus they accumulated great experiences now here's my question what do you think happened to the rich young ruler we aren't told we never really hear what happens to the rich young ruler my guess is that he lived the rest of his life in luxury my guess is that the money never ran out that he had everything that he needed that everything was in perfect place for him and my guess is that he died a bored old man Regretful that he did not at one point in his life take the opportunity to sell it all and to take up and follow Jesus. I would also suggest that while he was busy accumulating possessions, he sacrificed experience. Why? Because he chose to travel the path of certainty instead of the path of uncertainty. I think it goes to the core of what faith is all about. All of us have made decisions that we regret. All of us have made decisions that we thought, ooh, I I wonder if I've done the right thing. You make a decision decision and you wonder about that decision. You wonder if you made a mistake. You wonder if you're traveling the right path. You wonder if you heard God's voice right. That's always going to be the case when you embrace uncertainty. You, You step out and you're just like, man, I don't know. I mean, I had that when I came to this church. I don't know if this is the place I'm supposed to go. I mean, it turns out it's been a great thing for me. 
I have times of uncertainty all the time. When I stand up here and cast vision for you guys, and I say, okay, we're going to go here, we're going we're to hire this staff person, and we're going we're gonna to build this building, and we're going to raise this money, I'm thinking, God, you know, are we, really? I mean, you said we were, but are we? There's always that, that point of uncertainty, and there's always that, that, that place of, man, I hope we do this. I mean, right now, in the middle of this whole First Steps campaign, when I told you a couple of months ago, we're going to pay off the mortgage, do you understand how huge that is and how uncertain it is that we're ever going to be able to do that? Now, I got two options. I can stand up and I can say what's certain. I can stand up and say, you know what, we're not going to take any offerings, we're not going to sacrifice, we're not going to do anything, and we are not going to pay off the, the mortgage at the end. And you know what else would have happened? At the end of that service, no one would have left here excited and, and ready to see what God would do in their life. But it's amazing what happens when we start talking about vision around here. I tell people all the time, the days that we talk about vision and the days we talk about the uncertain things that are ahead that we want to pursue and go after, you guys leave here like, like the Colts just won the Super Bowl. That's what you leave here. It's, it's amazing to watch you leave the room with this bounce in your step because you're excited about what could be. That's what faith is all about. Andy Stanley, a next generation leader, says a couple of things that I want to read to you real quick. Uh, first of all, he says, generally speaking, you are probably never going to be more than 80% certain. Waiting for greater certainty may cause you to miss an opportunity. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says this, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never do anything big. Now there's a time to be cautious. There's a time to throw caution to the wind. There's also a time to be prudent and a time to be valiant. If Benaiah had waited for perfect conditions, he would never have chased the lion. It was snowing. Those are better conditions for the lion than they are for Benaiah. But faith is about learning how to step out in the uncertainty. I want to read the second quote to you from, from Andy Stanley. This book is excellent, by the way. It's Next Generation Leader. If you've not read that, it's very, very good. Uncertainty actually increases with increased leadership responsibility. The more responsibility you assume as a leader, the more uncertainty you will be expected to manage. The cost of success as a leader is greater uncertainty, not less. There is a part of us that wants God to resolve all the uncertainty before we will follow. But the more you live by faith, the more you have to embrace relational, emotional, occupational, spiritual uncertainties. You have to embrace those things because it's what God called us to. Erwin McManus wrote a, a book called The Barbarian Way, and in that book, he talks about the, the labels that are given to animal groups. Some of these you're going to know. Some of these you've not heard. A fish is called a school. Ants are called living colonies. Bees are a swarm. Cattle are herds. Those are, you're pretty familiar with those. Birds are flocks. How about this one? Lions are a pride. You know what buzzards are? You know what you, know what you call a group of buzzards? I'm not making this up. Committee. <laughs> a buzzard is, if you see a group of buzzards, that is a committee. I'm not lying to you. That's really what you call it. A group of rhinos is called a crash. A crash. They are aptly named. A rhino can run about 30 miles an hour. That's pretty amazing, really, when you think about it, because they can outrun a squirrel. 
Squirrels can go 26 miles an hour. Rhinos can top out at about 30. But here's the problem. Rhinos have terrible eyesight. Did you know that a rhino cannot see past 30 feet? Cannot see past 30 feet. And if you've ever seen a rhino, you know how huge they are, and you get all that moving in one direction. I expect it's pretty tough to get it stopped. I mean, it's not a performance vehicle, if you know what I mean. He's going to take a little time. He's more of a Mack truck than he is a, you know, a Maserati. So he gets all that going. He can only see. He can't see 31 feet past, but that doesn't keep him from going 30 miles an hour. You would think that makes them timid creatures, wouldn't you? Uh-uh. They have no problem getting up to speed and going 30 miles an hour. You would think that because they can't see that they never really want to get full speed going into something. But God has given them this really cool thing on the front of their head, this horn. And so they think they've got that. They just press on. They, they just drive right into things. Some of the coolest video I've ever seen was of a rhino trying to take a Jeep apart. It was really pretty stinking awesome. But listen to what Erwin McManus says. And you have to know, I, I highly respect Erwin McManus. He is just a great speaker and writer and church leader. The future is uncertain. But we, need to, but we need to move toward it with confidence. There is a future to be created, a humanity to be liberated. We need to stop wasting our time and stop being afraid of what we cannot see and do not know. We need to move forward full force because of what we do know. We may not know who holds the future. We may not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. What God wants from some of us is to not trust so much in circumstances, not in the conditions of our life, but, but what is uncertain. What does God want to do in the uncertainty? God wants us to get to the point that no matter what the circumstances are like, that we trust our Heavenly Father. Just like the disciples who probably should have lived and died within a stone's throw of Galilee, but ended up at the ends of the earth. We as followers of Christ have to do what he's called us to do. I can tell you this much. It is this paradox. If you're not a Christian, there's great certainty in your life about a lot of things. But chances are really good if you, were, if you and I were to sit down and have an honest conversation about your life, what you would probably say is, there's great certainty and I know where everything is and I know where... Uh, you know, I pretty much know where I'm going, but there's something missing. I'm telling you that when you come to Jesus, he brings with following him a, a huge level of uncertainty. But it's in that uncertainty that you get to know him better, and it's in the uncertainty that your, your life really takes on a vibrance and a fullness and a richness and an experience like you've never known. And you're never going to know it unless you step into the unknown and say, Jesus, I... This makes no sense to me, but everything I've got belongs to you. And from here on out, even though you don't know where you're laying your head tonight, I'm with you. If you've never done that, I challenge you to think about doing that today. Giving your life to Christ and huge uncertainty. And with it, watch the world open up to you in terms of experience and faith. I hope you'll do that when we stand and sing in just a minute. Let's pray together. Lord, we are creatures of certainty. We love it. We we like to know where things are. We, we could, we'd nail everything down. But you're all about uncertainty. You're all about putting us in places where we don't know and we have to lean on you. And we buck against that and we don't like that sometimes. But God, I look back and the times that you've taught me the most are times when I had no idea what was going on.
and I had to listen for your voice and I had to see what you were about and I had to see where you were leading and I prayed like crazy. God, help us to get to the place where we, we turn loose of the uncertainty in life and we really do open our arms and we embrace the uncertainty that a faith in you brings because then and only then are we completely yours. Then and only then are we completely leaned into who you are, listening for your voice, trying to help us to see where we go next and how to make sense out of life. God, help us to embrace uncertainty this morning. For the one who's not a Christian, I pray that you'd help them to see that uncertainty with you far, far exceeds a life of certainty without you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.